they had their own methodologies. I mean, they they would teach you. I mean, I I did. I, they called it extended remote viewing. It was nothing but like going down into the meditative state, mm-hmm. and then and, you know, and seeing imagery. You know, like they put the task in an envelope. There's a question. You know, access and describe. You know, the picture and the access and describe the problem in the envelope. Hi, I'm Andrea Neville. And I'm Jessica Paschke. We're two mediums whose spiritual experiences have been quite the adventure. We've discovered that sometimes the adventure is wonderful and unexpected, and sometimes it's downright uncomfortable. Join us as we chat about our own adventures and answer your questions about spirit, giving you specific tools and practices you can use to bring clarity and connection into your everyday life. Welcome to Adventures with Spirit. Today we have a very special guest, Angela Ford. Angela is a psychic, a tarot reader, and an expert remote viewer. She actually worked for over 32 years in the U.S. intelligence community, and she worked for them as a remote viewer in a government-sponsored psychic program. She's had books written about her where she's been featured. She's been on the CBS Sunday Morning News. The BBC has done a reenactment of the cases that she solved and for the Discovery Channel. And also a DIA investigator wrote a book where he explained how Angela helped catch an Australian spy. So she's been invited to Moscow by government-sponsored newspapers. The list goes on. It's a fascinating story of the remote viewing and how that's used by our government and also in other ways as well. So I am very happy to talk today to Angela Ford. Enjoy the show. We're talking with Angela about remote viewing. And this is a fascinating topic. It's another sort of reading or tool that you can use. So Angela, can you tell us like, what is remote viewing? Um, remote viewing actually is nothing more than ESP, extrasensory perception. The term remote viewing was, there were two scientists in California with Stanford Research Institute back in the early 1970s, maybe the late 1960s, and they were studying ESP and they were looking at scientific papers on okay. Chinese children who oh. Chinese children who had precognition. And so these Chinese children had ESP abilities. So whenever they would translate what the Chinese children were doing, when they translated it from Chinese to English, what the children were saying was, I see remotely, I remotely view, or I view remotely. So the scientists termed it remote viewing, and they gave that term remote viewing. It is nothing more than ESP. You know, it's how a psychic gathers information to report back to their customer or who, or their client. Okay. Um, the term remote viewing was better used when, when the government was trying to get, to get money, to receive money from Congress for the, for the psychic phenomenon. It was better that they used the word remote viewing than psychic. It just, it just sounded better. Right. It, it makes Right. It was, it was so it's more just acceptable. More, yeah. It's just nothing more than ESP. This is so fascinating. 
I don't know what I thought it was, but when you explain it that way, that makes so much more sense. So then my question becomes, how did you get into, like, how did you start doing it? Like, how did you know that you had this and how did you start doing it? I always had the abilities as a child. I had a lot of -of out-of-body experiences. I just knew I had it from an early age. My mother was very much interested in the area. She would always have the Edgar Cayce books around. She had talked about reincarnation. My mother was very psychic. She didn't know she was psychic. We just, she just knew things, but we never knew she was psychic. It was just who my mother was. I think, and then years later, once I became involved with the government and I became developed, she started to take classes and became very developed herself. And she was very good. But at the time growing up, I knew I had the abilities. Of course, intuitively, I knew not to talk about it. So it wasn't really that. It wasn't odd because you always had it. It wasn't something you, you looked to do or it just happened. So basically you're, I mean, I know you're psychic. So you're psychic which you're putting toward ESP, which is also the remote viewing. It's all one and the same in a way. It's all one and the same. It's all one and the same. The brain works the same. If when a psychic works, no matter what you call them, whether you call them a medium, a psychic, a spiritualist, a remote viewer, the brain to get to gather the information, the brain is working the same way. So call it what you wish. The brain is working the same way to gather the information. The year I graduated from college, I was out of a job. I couldn't get a job. And I was interviewed for the FBI to come down to Washington, D.C. to work for the FBI. And they had to conduct a background clearance, an investigation for me to receive a clearance. While I was waiting for that clearance, there was a man, a, a, a chemistry professor at the university close to where I live, who taught ESP classes at night. So I was always interested in it. So I took his class. His name was Dr. Carl Bordas. But then I was in the class, I think, two or three weeks. But then I had to quit because I I got a job at a factory and I needed the money to make the move from Pennsylvania down to Washington, D.C. But I liked the man. So I came down into Washington, D.C. and I worked for the FBI. Like doing a job, like a regular doing job, a job, right? Yeah, yeah. Nothing okay. psychic. Nothing psychic. Just, I mean, just my psychic, regular job. Yeah, my psychic came and went. I wasn't giving readings. Sometimes I was psychic. Sometimes I wasn't. It was, you know, I was living life, a normal life. I came down to to uh, Washington D.C. I have a political science background to work for the FBI. Now. The FBI did not pay much money. I wanted to be an agent, but I couldn't be an agent because I didn't have the eyesight. But I was working with a woman whose name was Sue. And Sue's husband was in Army Intelligence. And they just came back from Japan. And he was stationed. He was working for Army Intelligence. It was called the Intelligence and Security Command. It was for the Army. And she left the FBI to go work for him because she was making more money as a secretary than what we were doing at the FBI working on fingerprint. <laughs> oh, wow. So about, about a nine months later, a year later, she called me and she said, Angela, this Army Intelligence Branch, they're offering internships for uh, people with political science degrees. You should apply. You'll be making more. They're going to hire you and you'll be making more money than what you're making now. So I applied. So I did get a job with Army Intelligence. 
So I went over and for two or three years, I was on an intern program. So you learn all about the intelligence community, what agencies do what, the different means of collection. And of course, you know, in the military, things change, you know, people transfer. Well, the Intelligence and Security Command is always headed up by a general. Well, after my internship, I think they put me on the Central American desk. I was a country analyst for Central America, but they changed they they changed the um, commanders. And there was a gentleman that came in by the name of General Albert Stubblebine. And General Stubblebine, he believed in remote viewing. Um, he had, he taught at the Army Training Center, and he was looking for people who had these abilities. And I don't know, and, and he had a man, right-hand man that worked for him, Colonel John Alexander. So I don't know if you people ever watched Men Who Stare at Goats, but if you look at that movie, there's a general there who has his right-hand man, a colonel, and that was true. So these people were where I work. <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> they were taking a busload of people down to the Monroe Institute every Friday night, and they'd bring them back Sunday evening. And the Monroe Institute is down in Faber, Virginia, and they were teaching people how to go out of body. Mm. So the Army's doing this. The Army was doing this. Okay. Okay. Now, I did not realize it at the time. But General Stubblebine had a group of remote viewers, military remote viewers at Fort Meade, Maryland. We were stationed down at Arlington Hall Station in Arlington, but the remote viewers were up at Fort Meade working. And there were a lot of, I mean, even though you have your headquarters in Arlington, you have these different branches all over the world. Right. So he had his little small contingent of remote viewers up at Fort Meade. Okay, now. My mother had called me up one time. She called me up around an August time period. It was either 82 or 83, 1982, 1983. And she said, hey, my friends and I are bored. We want to do something this. We want to take a class. We don't know what to do. My mother always did. What did you call ceramics? Yes. I yes. said, mom, why don't you take Dr. Bordis's class, the ESP class up at the college? Oh, I think I will. So she started <laughs> to take his classes. Well, when she started to take his classes, she ran into some good, some good friends that we had. They were taking his class. And then they got turned on to a woman psychic named Alice that they started to go for her for readings. So my, all of a sudden, my mother was all involved in this, you know, psychic, psychic realm. world. Uh -huh. World. Okay. Now, my father passed away my, while my mother was taking the class. I was grieving a lot. And after my father died, my mother sent me this book and she said, read this book, Angela, you'll feel better. It'll help you understand your father's death and you'll feel better after you read it. And it was called Ruth Montgomery, A World Beyond. So I read that book and I put down that book and I started to do automatic writing. I started to channel. Yes, okay. yes. Isn't it fascinating how a book can change everything? It just, I resonated yeah. so know, well with that book. My father's yeah. death, it blew me wide open. And then I realized that I was doing the automatic writing and I realized 
I was probably doing automatic writing a year prior to that and didn't even know it. Didn't know it. Yeah. So I started to do the automatic writing and then I found out that, and then at that time, I found out this general had these remote viewers. Mm -hmm. Well, he was looking for people. I met him. I knew some people that I met that I knew some people that knew him. So I did have a meeting with him and he knew I had the abilities. However, he lost his support. The it was 1984. And he lost the general lost his support with the Joint Chiefs of Staff up at at the Pentagon. See, as long as he had his support, he could have his remote viewers. Well, he he lost his support. They were giving him a difficult time. So he was like, you know, the heck with this. I'm going to retire so he could go off in the private world and do what he wanted to in the paranormal. So he had planned to retire in 1984. And that was about the time that I had met him. So I just didn't think, you know, I just didn't know if I was going into the program or not. I didn't think much of it. Well, I did not realize this, but at the time that he retired, the military people up at Fort Meade, they were waiting for, they thought the program would be shut down. They were waiting for orders to go to other places and work. You know how military get orders. Now you're going there. So they're sitting around for about, you know, they're sitting around waiting to get their orders to go someplace else and work. When all of a sudden the Defense Intelligence Agency comes through and there was a man by the name of Dr. Jack Verona who was funding Stanford Research Institute to look at, to see what they were doing scientifically to understand ESP or remote viewing. And they, and the Defense Intelligence Agency was off, they were looking at trial runs done by Princeton, uh, North Carolina, Durham, Duke University. So there was this whole other side, you know, not only of these remote viewers collecting intelligence to give to people to act on, you had this whole other side of this scientific research. Like, why can some people do this really good and other people can't? You know, what are, you know, if somebody's going to do this, how can we make it easy for them to do it? What are the, you know, is it a quiet room? Is it, you know, how do, or how can we stimulate the brain to get the, you know, to get the best result from from the person? So you had this whole scientific part going on separate from the remote viewers. Well, also at the Defense Intelligence Agency, Dr. Verona had a gentleman working for him by the name of Dale Graff. And Dale Graff was tasked to find out what are other countries doing in remote viewing? Well, you had the whole Soviet. I mean, they were big time into this. There was a whole Soviet threat. You had Brazil, you had, you had China. So, so now you're looking at a foreign assessment in the intelligence world, you're looking at a foreign assessment, who's doing this and what would be the threat? Well, the threat really, it came from the Soviet Union. So of course, we go to Congress and we say, hey, there's a real threat here, you know, ramp it up, we need money, we've got to study this. So they were able to get, so all of a sudden it's 1984, we think the remote, the remote viewers thinks that they're going bye-bye but Jack Verona goes into Congress and says, do not, do not shut down the remote viewing. Just transfer those people over to the Defense Intelligence Agency. So okay. that's what saved the program. And, and it took about a year 
to transfer from that from the Army Intelligence into DIA. It took about until 1985, and then I was picked up in 1986 to go into the program to work. So how did they find you? Like, I mean, like, how did you get into the program? Like, did you did you know they were accepting applicants and then you filled out no, an no, application? No, you can't. No, this was a, this was a called a special op. Um, no, 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 they don't accept applicants. They, I, General Stubblebine knew I had the ability. So he probably told Just me because off. you, okay, that makes sense. Cause you were in the same space together and okay. Then I was like, how do they find you? <laughs> you, you they don't, you, you sort of, what you kind of do is what they would do is they would, sort of figure out who they, you know, you, you kind of go around and you kind of see who you, you know, it's awareness. Who do you think could fit in or whatever? And then you kind of write down their names or if some people know what you're doing and if they're interested, you kind of write down their names. You just don't, you know, check with them on the download. So really, <laughs> really though, what you're saying is, is it's this ESP, right? And then they, they basically give you a container in which you operate with that with that skill right and so they said okay we want you to use your esp abilities to do x y and z and that's and that's that's how you figured out you could do you could well not how you figured out you could do it but you know what i mean it's like you it's like a skill you hone yes, a skill I thank you i was like what is the word <laughs> what is the word they had their own methodologies. I mean, they, they would teach you. I mean, I, I did, I, they called it extended remote viewing. It was nothing but like going down into the meditative state mm -hmm. and then, and, you know, and seeing imagery, you know, like they put the task in an envelope. You, there's a question, you know, access and describe, you know, the picture and the access and describe the problem in the envelope. Oh, okay. So they, they give you just an envelope and you look at the envelope and you give your impressions based on whatever they've put in there. Yeah, that's a sealed envelope. They don't give it to me because I could open it, but they'll say, you know, here, here's target A, here's envelope A, tell me about it. Envelope and A they, is just sitting somewhere. And then they say, and probably, I know this because no, Angela taught me, right? So it was like, find envelope A and then- No, no, it's a, like, it's somebody's it. holding the envelope. Right, I mean, okay, I'm seeing the, the envelope, you. I, you know, I okay. see the envelope. Oh, okay, okay. I, I don't have to find the envelope. I see the envelope. I don't know what's inside the envelope. That's my, that's my job to figure out. And you give your impressions, you give what's coming through. And then a lot of it is drawing, sketching, and then you write a report. And whoever oh, the client so is, whether it's, I mean, we've worked for CIA, drug enforcement, customs, you know, they all come through. It's all part of the intelligence community. They get a hold of Dr. Verona or they get a hold of the office and they say, hey, we've got something going on. Can, can you look at it? And we do. So fascinating. So mm -hmm. once you give them the information, though, what do they, they do with that information? They take it to to further whatever. I've worked for the intelligence community for over 32 years. The only time I did not work as an analyst was probably a year and a half. I was at, with the FBI in the nine years I worked at the psychic program. I was a collector. I, I the method I was a collector. But as an analyst, I receive information from all types of collection methods, and I can do whatever I want to with that information as the analyst. I can act on it. I can sit on it. I can do whatever I want. But if the analyst feels like they have a problem, they task. You know, like if an analyst is sitting there and they can't get to something, they can, you yes. know, they'll say, hey, go ask those remote viewers, like, what's in this building? 
So, you know, and then you kind of, you know, tell them what's in the building. Now, they can say highly probable, oh, no, you're way off, plausible. They can act on it, too. I mean, I've had information where they've pulled up some, you know, I had, they were looking for Qaddafi's chemicals back then in the late 1980s. They pulled up a submarine to go look to see where I said if it was there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, yeah, I mean, they could, you, you give it to whoever needs the information. And sometimes they just hold on to the information and act on it later. But it's just, it's the intelligence community just loves information. They just love to collect information. <laughs> and they're always, there's always different means to collect. You know, you have your imagery platforms, you have your signals, you have people on the ground, but they're doing all the electro optics. They just collect. I was nothing but a collection method that would fit in with other collection methods. Others. You piece it together like the analyst. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what do you do with your remote viewing now? Because are you still working for the government or have you retired and are doing something else? Well, the government closed the program down in 1995. So okay. I was there nine years, like 1986 to 1995. So then because I've had so many years with the government, I just went back to the Defense Intelligence Agency and I worked as an analyst, country analyst on Russia and China. But now, no, I just do my, you know, my little psychic readings, tarot readings, channeling, or it's just, you know. This is her little, let me tell you, she teaches, she's in books, she gets studied. But she does her little psychic readings and her tarot readings and her remote viewing well, I, readings. <laughs> there was, well, you know, there was a there was a scientist we had on board mm-hmm. uh, whenever I worked as the program. His name was Dr. Ed Nay, and he was our contractor. You know how the government contracts out. Well, Ed, he he took like they studied the mind. He took us to Los Alamos, California, twice. And they did some brain studies. They find they think it's the lower part of the brain, the right side of the lower part of the brain that becomes very active when you become psychic or if you're giving a psychic reading and that your short term memory turns off. That's why a lot of psychics can't remember. Oh, my gosh. I never knew why I couldn't remember. I can't remember anything. Yeah, I don't remember anything in a reading. Because you've got, it has to turn off because you've got, you need that continuum. When you give a reading, you're not in any time. Right. Yeah. Your time suspension. (laughs) You answered one of my big questions. I always thought it was just the blessing of spirit making me not have to remember everything, but now I see it's a function of my anatomy, which still works. Yeah. So Ed May, so when I retired, I did some studying. I did, Ed May runs projects because scientists need statistics. You know, if if they want to prove something, they need statistics. But I think Ed's trying to prove scientifically precognition, premonition. So we'll do remote viewing targets for him, access and describe the picture in the paper, in the in the envelope. He also is getting funded by uh, by neuro people like neuroscientists before. When Ed would get funded, a lot of it would come from um, the noetic Edgar Mitchell with the Ed the astronaut with the Ed uh, the noetic foundation. Okay, but a lot of people that were involved, a lot of scientists that were involved that were involved in the study of remote viewing, they were like your physicists or chemists. Well, all of a sudden you have these neurologists, neuroscientists, you have brain people. 
And Ed works with a woman from India who's a, who's a neurologist. And Ed said, it's, it's funny because once he got involved with the people that studied the brain and he would go out and talk about it as a brain thing. Oh, you know, like this, you know, this is in the brain. It became more acceptable. It took the woo woo out of it. And now he can get more funding. He just says that it's a brain sense. Yeah, it I totally mean, makes sense. Yeah, one hundred percent. But it's six and one. But okay, funding matters. I try to think of what people listening are thinking. Some people will say, "So is it psychic spying?" But probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so that's you know that would be one way it could be used. It could what be do you used think the other biggest- ways the biggest myth is surrounding remote viewing. Like, no. what do you think is the greatest misconception people have with remote viewing? Because for as many times as we could be right, we could be wrong. It, it, it's a human, it's a human feat. You know, it's like mm-hmm. playing the piano, you know, a, you know, a concert pianist is going to have a bad day. A singer is going to have a bad day. So there were misses. And a lot of the misses came with locations. So we've had successes it worked but we've had misses but in any collection method it's the same thing you know you can go out and try to throw a signal if it's a foggy day it's not going to get it if you're a mountainous so i think that it that that people believe that you're going to be on all the time and be right all the time is a misconception Mm -hmm. i like that and i like that you compared it to like playing a piano everyone's going to have a bad day it doesn't mean you're suddenly not psychic you're just having an yeah. off day, right. you know, yeah, I and, like, and I'll that. tell you, it's hard. I mean, it's the locational stuff was very difficult, mm-hmm. very, very difficult. Oh, gosh, I can't imagine. And the thing was, bad. was a lot of times the analysts in the community, they would come to us as a last resort, like back in the eighties, whenever they had the hostages in Beirut, Terry Anderson, Terry Waite. Well, what happened during that period was there was no spies on the ground. All, all the Americans were taken out of Beirut because it was very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So there were no spies on the ground and they couldn't get any type of signals or imagery into the country because it was too mountainous. So the, the analysts didn't have anything. So they came to us as a last resort. Wow. And in a way that wasn't fair either to us. Mm. They, had no other, they had no other place to go but to us. Right. And then no way to even check and balance or even support the, the viewing process itself by helping some, no, we, some information. I was, no, we gave them info. I gave them. Oh, information. I'm sure you did. I have no and doubt. Then they, would take it, they would take it to the Israeli embassy after work. The Israeli embassy would call it in. Then they could go up. The Israeli forces could go up and see, you know, where the hostages there were, we said they were. Wow. Do you think anyone can learn how to do remote viewing? That was always the that was always the bone of contention because the military military's big on training. They love to train. And when they I do. went to the program, they get, you know, give me a ma- they gave me a manual, teach me how to be psychic. I walked in psychic. That manual did nothing. <laughs> you know, the manual didn't do anything for me. They were so mad at me because I wouldn't use the manual. But and I think you can train somebody up to a certain level. Right. But when I remembered whenever we would meet with Congress and whenever you have the scientists like Ed May, they'd say you may be up to a certain level. But if somebody was the real deal, it surpassed. You could bring somebody right. up to a certain level where they could access and describe a location. 
Mm-hmm. But when you have, whenever you're describing personalities, what they're thinking, health statuses of hostages, locations, mm-hmm. finding things and people right on the market, you need, you need the real deal. See, Congress and the scientists always felt like, get the real deal. You know, and these military people were just bringing in friends. It got to be real, you know, oh, well, you don't have to apply for the job. And they would think, oh, well, I think they'd make a good remote viewer. Well, you're bringing uh, people, quote, in on the street and you can bring them up to a certain level, but but they're, they're not producing the way that, you know, they're not like anything actually psychic. Yeah. And, and like anything, there's that X factor with people mm-hmm. who succeed, right? Like we don't know what it is. It's an X factor, but they, they go above and beyond. They're just naturally, their things naturally lend themselves to a certain expression, right? That's, that is really interesting. So people could learn how to do it, you but some learn. people will excel because that's just, that is a natural path that it's that skill wants to it's take. It's the genetic, it's the genetic. There was a lot of research that would go into this project and there was some, and you know, we're in the intelligence community and we share intelligence with everybody, Air Force intelligence, Army intelligence. Well, there was a general, he was like a two or three star general. He was the head of the Air Force's intelligence medical command up at Aberdeen Proving Ground Mm -hmm. in Maryland. And he was a genetic doctor. And he put a lot of money into the research of remote viewing. And I was with him one time and, you know, he, and, you know, he talked to me and I said, well, my mother was psychic. My sister was psychic, uh, my aunt and some cousins. And he said, what you're telling me is so powerful. He said, because he said, let me tell you a story. He said, he was, you know, he said at work where he works, he had this little enlisted guy that worked for him. And he said, this guy could fix anything. He could fix airplanes. The air conditioning unit broke where he was working. The guy fixed the air conditioning unit. The secretary's car broke down one night. He fixed the (laughs) secretary's car. And he says, I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, man, what I could do if, you know, you know, he says it's in his gene, the way that he can just fix things. So he asked the kid, he goes, do you have any brothers and sisters? He goes, oh yeah, he has a lot of brothers and sisters. He was from a farm from Iowa or Idaho. And this general said, it just crossed my mind what I, what I could do. <laughs> he knew that gene was, I wanted to take his brothers and sisters and just hire them what I could do with them. He says, but it's illegal. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't do that. It's illegal. <laughs> I love it. Now that you say it that way, it makes total sense. (laughs) So when this guy retired, he, he, he had enough sense. He knew how to put money into the, into the research that it would go on 10 years after he retired. Oh, nice. Yeah. We had, we had some heavy hitters that could keep the program alive because a lot of people didn't like it because it went against their belief system. Oh yeah. And the government, I can understand that. What are some ways that, you know, that remote viewing is being, you know, currently being used since the government program has been shut down? What are ways that we're, people are using it now or could be used that you're aware of? Are they studying it or people are maybe doing it for themselves? I still work for Ed May. Okay. And Ed May still getting funded. Still being. And okay. Ed is as at the point too, like, he, you know, he said, Angela, I, I don't want, when he meets with people and, you know, and they have remote viewing groups. And he says, you know, he meets with people and, and they all they tell him is the good stuff. Oh, well, we had one person 
do this. We had one person do that. And he says, they're, they're telling him all of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And he says, I've seen the good stuff. And, and he says, I want to know why it works sometimes, why it doesn't. And at what point when he gives me a task, do I open, do I open up and be, am I able to do it? And what time, and at what point do I close down? He's looking for other things now. Okay. Okay. So I want to know that too. Yeah. <laughs> like why yeah. does and it I work see, sometimes and why doesn't, you know, I'm fascinated yeah. by that. And I think That's too, they, they want to do some, they want to try to get us on some MRIs looking at the brain. So I believe mm-hmm. that the research is going on. I think that Ed may, I mean, they have done tests. I know um, there's a guy up in, in San Francisco. They do tests where it, it's sort of like they test people where you're sitting in a chair and they have you like, you're like on a monitor. So you just, they, they, they show you a picture. Like they'll show you a picture, like of a nice picture, like of a flower. Then you see the next picture of a garden. Then you see the next picture, you know, beautiful scenery. And then all of a sudden you'll see a wreck, you'll see a picture of a car crash and then you'll see some nice pictures. And then all of a sudden you'll see a terrible picture, like a person with their head cut off. So what they're finding out is, that when they look at it, that the body is already registering the ugly picture coming up. Oh, I so, see. There's so like a precog happening. A precog. Yeah. So in other words, you're sitting there enjoying the pictures before the ugly one comes up, your, your body's already reacted to. I don't understand all of the science. I, I don't, I just don't understand it. I it just, it doesn't matter. You're little... doing it. Right. <laughs> you're just doing it. You're so doing if it someone wanted to, right. So if somebody wanted to do, like, start to learn how to do remote viewing, what would be some advice that you would give them? Like, what direction would you point them or what would you say to help oh, well, them? There's a lot of people that teach remote viewing. I teach remote viewing. It's just a bit, you have to learn the, uh, there's a protocol. The method, how a person access and describes a target is their business. Whether you use channeling, whether you use meditation, no matter what you use method, that's the method, but there is a protocol that needs to be followed in remote viewing. And that means that you have the remote viewer and then you have the monitor. Both are blind to the target. Somebody picks out a target and then you have the remote viewer access and describe the target. And then they do that and then the monitor gives them the feedback. They must not know anything about the target. There's a structure to it. And then working within that structure, you build those skills up kind of naturally exactly, as you that's practice. Exactly so I'm a huge, I always tell people, they're like, how do we work on developing our psychic skills? And I'm like, practice, you have to yeah. practice. You have to figure out how you work and how you work best. So that makes sense to me. 100%. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And that's what another remote viewer, Joe McMonagall always says, you have to practice because you only find that within yourself. Yes. One, I agree. 100%. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so interesting. Interesting. So, um, Angela, if people want to find you for psychic readings or your remote viewing classes, other things that you offer, how can they do that? Um, you can call me or text me at 443-624-5874 or my email, which is FordAngela04 at gmail.com. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of today's adventure with spirit. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd love it if you left a review. 
visit our website at adventureswithspirit.com to find out more information and submit a question for the chance to be featured in a future episode. Like what you heard? Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Andrea Neville Psychic Medium and at Intuitive by the Sea for more inspiring content. Here's to being adventurous.